Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Scoopy Radio. We are here with Reverend Andre L. Price, pastor of Mount Olivet Baptist Church, right? Mount Olivet Tabernacle Baptist Church in Philly. Did I get it right? He was my college roommate, and he uh, always had a knack for the gospel. So my first question uh, for you, college roommates, we grew up together, for you, um, do you when you look at I guess people in the faith and you know their process of kind of knowing their calling in life and know what they want to do? Um, do you think that for people who go to college um, and then they 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 I guess they they go into the faith? Do you find that I guess the congruency between experiencing life? Um, kind of helps the pastor's story more than, I guess, maybe talking down to people about what they shouldn't do. Absolutely. Uh, I think that oftentimes we think that to to be a Christian or to follow Jesus is something that we have to do at the exclusion of being real people who have real experiences. Uh, I think that uh, that what it means to follow Jesus is to engage culture and engage the world, to be uh, the type of people who are grounded in what it is that we believe, but also able to engage the world. So what does that mean? That means that as uh, me as an African-American male, that uh, to follow Jesus and to be a Christian doesn't mean that I have to put my my maleness or my blackness on hold. It doesn't mean that me as a product of uh, the hip hop generation that I have to stop listening to uh, Snoop Dogg and Too Short and uh, Jay-Z that uh, they have something to say and they inform who I am as a Christian, as a pastor, and just as uh, whoever's listening that all of these different voices uh, influence who you are, that we don't, uh, we are not called to be blank slates or uh, 
simply to give up on who we are, but uh, to be Christian means to, or to follow Jesus means to follow him who was truly human. Uh, and it doesn't mean that we have to, to bracket out or put our humanity on, on hold. So we don't live or exist in, in a bubble. Uh, we don't, uh, you know, as much as we, we have been told that we have to be uh, other or live as other, uh, we, we live in the world, but we are not of, of the world. I think it's interesting uh, that you brought up Too Short, Snoop Dogg, and then Jay-Z, you know, us being roommates at Eastern. I was blasting Jay, and uh, you, you were more of a Too Short and uh, Snoop Dogg guy. And, you know, Too Short has had uh, many of appearances on Scoop B Radio and yeah, he talked about uh, some of his songs. Well, job, Betty. He talked about Blow the Whistle. He talked about, you know, a myriad of different things. Why do you think um, that people try to make, I guess, pop culture, people in the church make pop culture and the gospel so mutually ex- exclusive? Uh, I think that's that happens for several reasons. One, uh, I think that we have given people more church uh, than we have Jesus. I think that we, in many respects in the church, have misunderstood Jesus. Uh, we make Jesus to be this kind of high, lofty uh, object thing, uh, and we forget that Jesus was a first century Palestinian Jewish male. Uh, we forget that when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate uh, the Jewish Jesus, the, the Jesus who, who took on uh, flesh, the, that we, and, and what that means theologically in terms of, of culture. I think that that's, that's huge. It's important. Uh, it's something that we have forgotten or maybe something that we don't emphasize enough. Uh, the other thing that I would also say is that Christianity since its inception, and this is the case for religion in general, is an enculturated religion, right? We have the, the Bible, it's, it's books and, and words. Language is culturally uh, influenced, right? It's, it's, it helps shape, shapes culture and shapes our, our reality. So uh, for me, Christianity is not opposed or against religion. Religion is the, the cradle in which, uh, I'm sorry, culture is the cradle in which religion is transmitted. Uh, you know, to even be able to talk about Jesus or talk about the Bible or talk about church. Uh, we, we do that through cultural language and cultural forms and cultural concepts and, and ideas. So for me, Culture is not the enemy to Christianity. It is the the I don't know swaddling clothes in which Christianity is transmitted. Uh, and I think, and I, I take this very seriously, is that it is the responsibility of every generation to uh, articulate the faith in a way that is biblical and both. And also culturally authentic, using the, the language and the cultural forms which are appropriate in that particular time and, and age. And that's interesting because I find as a, as a journalist in today's day and age, um, 
40 somethings and 50 somethings, uh, black, black, white, Spanish, Asian, um, they don't always relate culturally to guys that are in the NFL, guys that are in Major League Baseball, guys that are in tennis or women in tennis, or because of that whole culture thing. I think where we are today as a society, um, sports, entertainment, lifestyle, they all interconnect with hip hop in some way, shape, or form. I don't know if this is the case with you, but do you find, A, you're a pastor in a, in a church that it has, who the parishioners are, are much older than you. Do you find with other pastors or other, you know, in other conferences that that you go to that people are leaning on you for cultural relevance to to to, to reach their congregation or their audience? Where do you fit in that scope? Uh, I think a lot of older people see a lot of young pastors as superhero figures in a sense, uh, in a sense that we are. Uh, the hope to try to get their grandchildren and great-grandchildren back in the church. Uh, oftentimes, uh, if you pastor in the inner city uh, with this cradle-to-prison pipeline and uh, just so many of the temptations there are between uh, the drug game, alcohol, uh disease and things that, that oftentimes in broken families and things that that young preachers kind of become the the sons and the surrogate sons and even even daughters that, that a lot of our parishioners uh, didn't have uh, or wish that their their children were. Uh, so I don't know if it's a lot of pressure, but I'm certainly uh, aware of those of those dynamics uh and kind of how they how they play out i guess my follow-up to that is what has really changed because i think a lot of times when people get older then they look at the younger person that's a specialist in their field they grasp society is worse or better has things changed between in, in your and your scope when they started out and were your age um versus now like has it really changed or has it stayed the same? What's changed? Uh, I think some things have changed. I think some things have stayed the same. Uh, I think that one of the things that would help uh, the black church is if we move away from this paradigm that says that the civil rights generation uh, was some kind of golden era, something that we need to uh, return to. And I, I say that uh, knowing that I stand on the shoulders of giants of the the Dr. Kings and the Jesse Jacksons and the the Al Sharptons, uh, but I also say that recognizing that that generation had its problems and its uh, issues, uh, and what they did is they sought to articulate uh, their their faith and their social activism using the tools and using the language and the the cultural conceptions and forms that were available to them and they were able to to make a difference uh, in the same way that this new generation with its uh, different set of of issues must seek to do must seek to do the same thing uh, what we've seen 
in the last 50 or 60 years is a cultural uh, shift. Uh, America has become more and more secular. Uh, so this current era presents uh, a different set of problems, but uh, I wouldn't say a new set of problems. Uh, you know, things have changed in that, for example, that, that racism uh, and bigotry still exist, uh, but it exists in a different way. Uh, it has gone more underground, at least, I guess, prior to uh, the election of Donald Trump. Uh, so in a, in a large-scale kind of way, the same issues exist, but the way in which they present themselves have, have changed, which means that in order for a new generation to address those issues, that they have to change how they think about them and the modes in which you go about attacking them and, and addressing them. I feel like <clears throat> when you talked about standing on the shoulders of great giants like King, um, Reverend Al Sharpton, uh, I said King, but uh, I think in social activism, um, the black church where you've, you've transformed from uh, different people where, you know, uh, Bishop Jakes or the late Eddie Long was the mandate for the black prosperity gospel. And, you know, even politics where, you know, Jesse Jackson was looked at as a powerful person. And then you had... Barack Obama's president, and then you know, you know, you have Cory Booker, who has political aspirations. Um, you see, you see things changing, even in journalism, where you know, I looked up to Ed Bradley, and then you know, you had guys like the late Stuart Scott, and then you know, Stephen A. Smith, and all these other guys who were kind of like who everybody wanted to be like. Uh, do you feel like that next person who was the the the, the face of? Uh, what it is to be a successful pastor? Do you, do, do you feel like that role is changing? Do you do you, do you think that you know post long post post Jake's we're looking for that next face? If that's the case, what would have to be different for that pastor versus what we've seen in the past? In the past, uh, that's a tough question. I mean, there are varying textures and degrees uh, within black. Black Christianity, uh, specifically in Black religion in general. Um, I mean, you know, to put you, it's you can't put a, a Jesse Jackson or an Al Sharpton in the same category mm -hmm. as uh, Bishop Jakes or uh, Bishop Long. Uh, but what I do think is that what is needed, uh, or what will what will work in this new generation is not uh, kind of the the glitz and glamour, not the the mega church or the charismatic individual. But I think what people are looking for is simply authenticity uh, and flexibility. You you have to be authentic, present the gospel in a authentic way, uh, and be authentic. Nothing grind my, grinds my gears more than you know, a 60, 65-year-old pastor trying to act as if he's uh, 30, you know, with, you know, his baggy pants and thinking, you know, trying to act as if he is a product of the hip-hop generation. He simply is not. Uh, and if they're, you know, if you simply are authentic, I think that people will 
respect that and, 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 and gravitate to that simply because you're not trying to be something that, that you're not, um, rather than, than being relevant. Uh, I think that we just simply have to be authentic. Uh, the other thing I would say is that, uh, we have to be willing to come to grips with the fact that, uh, you know, in our churches, right, there are people who have, who are same, same gender loving, uh, people who, uh, don't think, uh, don't see the world in the same way that, that, that you do. And to be okay with that, that difference that we live in a much more pluralistic society in a pluralistic world and, and having a, a theology that is, is big enough to be able to deal with, with difference in the world, I think is key. I think it's interesting. You, you talked about the authentic, um, ness of people. Um, when I talk to rappers, uh, Compton Menace, who's LA based, he was a black wall street with a uh, gang. And then my guy, my son, my son is, um, a guy that, uh, he used to rap with Cameron back in the day. He did some time. Adam O'Brien's scoop was on a panel with him and uh, with the National Action Network. And I feel like um, they've talked a lot of they they talk a lot about just giving that message. Um, and I think that when you look at today's society, where people go to school to be what they're supposed to be um, nowadays you know, with social media and with just a following, people are able to give a message. Um, do you think rappers have become the, the, the community's new pastor? Uh, no, I certainly hope not. Uh, they, they may be the nation's social prophets in a sense. Uh, to me, though, uh, I think that the, the rap the rap game, I guess, if that is the, the right terminology. Um, and I guess the rappers could also say this about the black church, but I think that the rap industry has become tainted. Uh, it is controlled by uh, the wealthy uh, who set the agenda uh, in terms of who gets airtime uh, and who doesn't. So many of your authentic rappers and those who are really true to the, the their craft and to uh, genuine and authentic hip-hop oftentimes are pushed to the margins. Uh, but we could also say the same thing about, about the church in many respects. Uh, I think that, that rappers certainly have something to say in their social critique. Many of them, uh, you're more uh, conscious rappers. Uh, but what I do think is unique about rap and that the church or hip hop uh, and what the church needs to do and listen uh, is that they are telling a story about the conditions in America and they're they're wrestling with uh, certain certain things that are happening. Right. It's not just all about the dollar. It's not just all about. Uh, calling women B's and H's and the misogyny and the the greed, but there's, there's something oftentimes that's, that's underlying that. Uh, I remember as a child, uh, you know, I loved Snoop Dogg and I, I was not allowed to listen to, 
you know, that mu- his music because of the, the profanity. And uh, for my mother, right, you could, she couldn't hear the message and what he was describing because the first thing that she encountered was, oh, my God, he used the F word or, you know, he used the, the B word, right? And so you, you oftentimes miss it. So I, I think that there is a, a, a prophetic aspect to, to genuine and authentic hip hop that I think that, that the church needs to listen to. But uh, I think a lot of, you know, at least what I see in terms of hip hop is, is corrupted by big business. I feel like um, when you talked about relatability to your congregation, uh, that's so important. Uh, when we were roommates, your, 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 your area and your tidy side of the room uh, <laughs> was all types of movies. And um, one thing I, I think I take away from that is, is I go across the country just talking to different people as context. You know, talking to Silk the Shocker about I Got the Hookup or, you know, all those different movies or, you know, <laughs> and, you know talking to Too Short about, you know, stuff that I learned, you know, being your roommate and hearing West Coast music because I was, you know, New York to the core, mm-hmm. Big EJ, Nas, uh, Puff, etc. But um, I find that you, you talking about that context is so important. I remember you know, talking to Alan Iverson not too long ago, and um, it was an anniversary of, you know, Biggie dying. And I asked, it, you know, Alan, ironically, check this out, Biggie dying uh, or being killed in, L- in in Vegas after the, or no, it's killed in L.A., sorry, okay. in L.A. Um, and Alan Iverson crossing over Michael Jordan was within the same week but a year apart. Um, actually, I take that back. 97 was Iverson crossing over Jordan. Biggie was killed in 96. So, yeah, a year apart. Um, I asked Iverson about uh, his favorite, you know, uh, Biggie line. And he's, he's from uh, Young G's. Damn, it feels good to see people up on uh-huh. and flip two keys. Uh, I think context is so important because you're able to reach people going outside of your title, going outside of what you know. Uh, not to ramble, but your interest in movies has always been uncanny, uh-huh. uh, whether it's a, a Eddie Murphy movie, whether it's a um, King of Queens reference, whether it's, I'm looking at your movie collection while we're talking, whether it's, you know, anything. As a pastor, um, does that help you a lot, your interest in movies? It does for me. Um, I think that there's a lot of theology in in movies uh, and sitcoms as well. Um, you know, my favorite movie is Pulp Fiction. Uh, I basically love anything that's that Samuel Jackson uh, and movies and scenes from movies help me uh, think about the world and think about think about people and it's not uncommon for me to include uh lines from movies in my sermons or in my my teaching or because people can can relate and i think that there's something there's something genuine and authentic about the world that is communicated uh through through movies and through cinema and through uh music as well 
um, as I said, right, that as a Christian, I think that our, our mandate uh, is to engage the world, right? It's not to retreat and to live in a bubble, but it is to be authentically and unashamedly Christian and be the type of Christian who is able to engage in dialogue and discussion with those who are uh, different and those who see the world in, in different ways. Uh, it's, I, I think that's at the heart of the, the Christian message. So, you know, you can be Christian and like Pulp Fiction and Biggie and Tupac and uh, engage in conversation with their words, their lyrics, their ideas, their thoughts, uh, the things that they say that are positive, and even the things that they say that uh, tend to be a little more negative. And there are things that you can learn from hip-hop that transfer into church and life. Perfect example, uh, Biggie's Ten Crack Commandments. You don't get high off your own supply, and that credit debt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Radio. Yeah, there's there's wisdom in the the ten crack commandments, and um, <laughs> you know, I mean, aside aside from what it is that that they sell, you know, people who engage in that type of behavior, and this is not to justify it, but they tend to be excellent business people, right? There, so even in that, there there's something to learn, and it's not. I, I'm very hard pressed to believe that they just woke up one morning and decided, you know, that's what what they were going to do. But there are several uh, social, uh, emotional, psychological factors that have gone into to that type of behavior. But there's uh, there's some there's redeemable qualities in that, and that they have skills and they have talents and gifts, uh, and if you can reorient them in in the right direction i think that there's something redeemable there my great my late grandfather um knew malcolm x well uh i tell this story to people all the time that you know while my grandfather was was running a business on 125th street in harlem uh after hours uh when the store would close he and malcolm x would play dice games in the, in the, in the store um that being said uh do you, as a as a as a theologian yourself when you look at, do you subscribe to the theory that um, Biggie and Tupac are to our generation what Martin Luther King and Malcolm X were to our parents' generation? Yes and no. Uh, they were great cultural icons uh, like Martin and Malcolm died very young. Uh I think Tupac was certainly more socially and politically conscious than than Biggie. Um, but they had not reached a point, and this is more, they had not reached a point where they were able to influence uh, public policy in the way that Dr. King and to a lesser extent, maybe uh, Malcolm X. Uh, while they were cultural icons, while Biggie and Tupac were cultural icons, they were not leaders of movements. Uh, one of the things that Malcolm X and uh, Dr. King had, uh, and this, not to get into this, but this is kind of the, the problem as I see it with Black Lives Matter, is that Dr. King and Malcolm X had institutions behind them 
that there was a certain level of organ organization behind them, and that that makes a difference when you go to speak truth to power. Uh, Tupac was perceived uh, by many outside of the hip hop community as uh, a thug, a, a rogue. Uh, you know, he had been accused of assault and, and raped. He was seen as as a criminal. Um, and then Biggie uh, was probably just seen as a rapper or, or a, a musician. Uh, so I think the fact that somebody like a Dr. King or Malcolm X, that they had institutional support, uh, makes a, a, a big a big difference. Um, yeah. Last question. When are you writing your book? Uh, not anytime soon. My first book will probably be, uh, my dissertation. Uh, and that is about five years away. Um, so I don't plan on writing any, any books anytime soon. Uh, if I do any more publishing between now and then, it'll simply be, uh, journal articles and maybe chapters to edited volumes, but no, no book as of yet. I think we wrote your first manifesto on audio, <laughs> or rather your dissertation, where you, you can tie in hip-hop and the church. I think that's something that you're passionate about. I am. Uh, the program in which I've been accepted to to do doctoral work, uh, their emphasis is on the, engage, the, the, the intersection between uh, theology and culture. Um, so I've already pitched some things to them in terms of doing something around the possibility of theology and comedy, uh, looking at, you know, Richard Pryor and Red Fox and some of the great black comics and looking at, at black genius and talk about how comedy uh, kind of became this way to deal with oppression, to make, to make light of suffering. Uh, the, I guess the adage or the proverb, I'm not sure what it is, but sometimes we have to laugh to keep from, from crying. Uh, and to, to do some theology around that is a, a possibility for a, a project. Last question. I, I have one more question. Um, if you could take any comedian's best work and apply it to a sermon with the three points the conclusion who would be your best try at it three three comedians no if you were to you know how pastors they do their three point their three points and then the conclusion uh -huh. if you could take any comedian past and present and use one of their stand-ups in your sermon as a, as the text who would it be and why oh my god um oh i don't even know uh you got time <laughs> I guess I might have to say Paul Mooney uh, because his comedy is very in your face it's very provocative uh, and he's not afraid to deal with the issue of, of race uh, and he's also one who doesn't get the credit that that he deserves. Uh, he was oftentimes the, the background guy writing for uh, the great ones. Uh, so I, I guess I would have to say Paul Mooney. And that's it. We turn the record off. Scoop B Radio. Oh 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 